This is Street Signals, a weekly conversation about markets and macro brought to you by State Street Global Markets. I'm your host, Tim Graff, head of macro strategy for EMEA at State Street, based in London. At the start of this year, emerging markets were a consensus long call, and for good reason. After many central banks aggressively hiked rates last year, EM asset markets were cheap, they weren't very crowded, and yields in many economies were very attractive. And with volatility declining, EM carry trades got very popular, and the results so far speak for themselves this year. On a total return basis, uh, the Brazilian real is up about 16%, Mexican peso is up about 22%. But part of the pro-EM thesis for this year was that China especially would be a boost for demand and for asset markets with their reopening following COVID expected to boost domestic as well as regional growth. And with the prospect of easier monetary policy elsewhere, especially in EM, this could also help spur external demand for China. And this aspect of a pro-EM stance has obviously been a bit more complicated with China and EM Asia lagging in terms of currency performance this year, and also lagging relative to expectations for growth this year. And our guest today is here to talk about all of this, about China's growth dilemmas and what we can expect for the remainder of this year for policy, for economic performance, and for the currency and local asset markets. Yu Xiao is a macro strategist on our team in Hong Kong. She has published extensively on China for us over the last couple of years. I'm very pleased to welcome her back on the podcast. Yu Ting, good to have you here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Good to be here. Okay, let's start with the background of why China's post-COVID reopening has been so disappointed. Where are we missing the most versus expectations that I guess were had at the beginning of this year? Sure, sure. So so I think initially when China had a very quick U-turn when it comes to the COVID exit, um, there was, of course, that initial euphoria where you know China was expected to be the spotlight of the year. Uh, in terms of reopening and and the growth that follows, but I think you know when we look at data now, a, a couple of months or half a year down the road, in hindsight, I think a lot of that um, disappointment was sort of focusing on, I guess, two aspects. The first part is consumption, mm-hmm. uh, where it was expected to be the key driver of growth, which I think going forward is still likely to be the case. Um, you know, when you look at basically service, tourism, smaller item side, we did have quite a bit of pent up demand release, and that was was sort of uh, very strong, but the sustainability of that phased out quite quickly. Um, the other part of consumption, which is bigger ticket item, I guess, when it comes to cars or real estates, those parts really lagged. And I think in people's mind, in terms of the, the recovery process, the restrictions and the COVID era, I would say scarring and that impact on people's not only you know household wealth, but also future projection of their cash and income actually took quite a bit of hit. So for the bigger ticket items, people are a lot more conservative and the recovery on that aspect seems to uh, to lag quite a bit. And one of the things that's really, I think, been puzzling for markets is the response to this so far. And I, it is <laughs> early days. And I think we probably do have to be a bit careful in that we were only kind of hoping for this reopening, say, six months ago. And we're already right. a bit already a bit disappointed with it. But mm-hmm. t- typically the response is when when China sees some sort of disappointment in its output, and of course, you know, they, they do manage to output targets that are pretty well defined and pretty well known and understood. The policy response has been a little bit, I think in people's view, lacking. Why do you think that has been the case so far? 
I think that's a good point, and I think the answer to that probably would be twofold. I guess one part is that for the past few cycles, when growth start to look more challenging, the go-to target is to really investment side of things, where you really push up infrastructure spending, you really uh, push for real estate investment. Which you know, going forward, that's not really the, the trajectory of growth anymore. Policymakers do sort of face that trade-off of quantity versus quality, where you know, if you do massive stimulus again, there's going to be issues that come with it when it comes to local financing vehicles, uh, real estate, you know, being uh, sort of oversupply and bubbles and so on and so forth, which is part of the reason why they had that deleveraging campaign for the past few years. I think that's the first part. And the second part is, I think, for China's case, we really rarely see where, you know, on a year to year, year on year basis, China is doing actually fine. The five percent growth target is still very much attainable at this point, but sequentially, growth is really struggling. And in in the past, that really doesn't you know exist very often. So policymakers have to really sort of prioritize or try to evaluate how much weight to put on the near future, how much to put on in terms of longer term objectives, and those sometimes can have different impacts when it comes to. Uh, policy and, of course, the policy choice as a result of that. So in terms of thinking about what stimulus might be coming, there, you know, mm-hmm. the focus, I think, is on fiscal support. The monetary policy is not, you know, certainly not at the zero bound by any means. There's there's means by which monetary policy can offer support. But I think the focus has really been more on fiscal policy or the hope, at least, mm-hmm. is for fiscal policy to come. What do you think are the most likely targets of this? Um, I would say on the fiscal side, at least uh, they're trying to, at least on local level, issue more debt uh, mm-hmm. to really, um, I guess this time around, try to be more targeted, I guess, focusing on um, small, medium-sized enterprises, because those are the sort of the core of the private sector where they hire the most people, which for China right now, unemployment, especially the use unemployment side of things, look to be pretty challenging. Policy measures that have been rolled out so far, I guess, in, in, in a word to describe it's a bit piecemeal, I guess. Mm. Um, you did have that, you know, 25 year ultra long maturity from state banks is sending to local government financing vehicles to help them in terms of their access to credit. And over the past couple of days, you did have in terms of for the real estate sector, there is that one year repayment extension for some of the, the, uh, the real estate companies. So there are measures that are being pushed out. Question is, you know, how much more can we expect? Um, I guess, you know, that very sort of much anticipated by the market uh, sort of stimulus package is coming. It's just a matter of when are we going to get that and how big of a package we're going to get compared to where market has has been sort of uh, hoping for. And I think as we approach the July Politburo meeting, we are likely to get more clarity on the policy side. And that's going to play a very important part for where the economy is going to be uh, for the second half of the year. Okay. Uh, thinking about, well, I wanted to ask about the currency a little later, but as a, as a mm-hmm. preamble to that, I wanted to also think about the geopolitics and China and the U.S. relationship is obviously, I think it's pretty much every day, front page news. Mm-hmm. We have had a couple of high profile visits from U.S. policymakers. We had Anthony Blinken and then most recently Janet Yellen. But th- taking a step back and going back to the Trump administration, I guess, when this really started to become a, a front page story, 
To what extent do you think the breakdown or the the difficulties? It's a breakdown is probably a little too dramatic. The difficulties in the U.S. China relationship or China's relationship more broadly with the West. Do you think this has weighed on economic activity to an appreciable degree, or is this still just very much a domestically oriented story?、Um, I would say, to some extent, it does have an impact, especially for. Um, international investors, their sentiments towards China and their allocation for longer term definitely have to take into consideration of the geopolitical side of things, which, to your point, is looking to be challenging in the past, I would say five to ten years,、um, and especially with sort of the recent、uh, Biden administration, where last summer you had the Pelosi visit, which I would say probably is the low point of the U.S.-China relationship since it has been established. Over four decades ago, but now you know you did start to have higher-profile visits. To your point, Blinken and Yellen.、Um, I guess one way to look at it is、um, the impact on economic activities or sentiment in general is that sector-wise for China, you know. It start to feel that pressure from the West in terms of either decoupling or de-risking or diversification when it comes to supply chains or or trade destinations. It does sort of have an impact in terms of which sectors do you focus on. For China, the bottleneck right now, policymakers really keep their eyes on is basically the higher tech,、uh, manufacturing, chips, cloud computing, cybersecurity, those side of things, and. I guess it's a bit twofold. One part is perhaps to some extent they have to really step up regulation in terms of protecting data security and national security. The other part is there's likely to be more policy support to really shore up those sectors which they are facing more sanctions or restrictions in terms of international access market-wise.、Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know in terms of the the recent visits by Blinken and Yellen. It is definitely a bit positive, at least on the margin. You know, China-U.S. relationship is at where we are right now. It's not likely to go back to two or three decades ago, where we had really nice, you know, sweet spot relationship that 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 the two countries had. But you know, going forward, you start to have or the resumption of those higher level communications and, and bridges starting to to be rebuilt again to really have that you know guardrail. Um, keeping the communication channels open, those is going to help in terms of understanding each other to have that, you know, common ground being established to know where the red lines are and that risk of you know misperception or escalation when it comes to frictions is likely to be declined and that on the market, especially sentiment wise, is definitely positive. Do you think though that it has? And I think Yellen's visit here is is particularly interesting because it does strike a tone of. Those smoother ties that are potentially on offer for exporters. Do you think this is entirely sentiment driv-、uh, a sentiment story, or does this actually mean something for the export sector in meaningful terms for growth? It's likely to be limited.、Yeah. Uh, maybe on sentiment, it's a bit better, and it's definitely positive in terms of signaling. But the overall sort of slowdown of global growth is there, and as a result of that, Chinese export is likely to to decline. Especially now that we have the reopening underway, Chinese imports is likely to pick up, where、mm. you know Chinese tourism is going to travel elsewhere. So that exports for China is declining, especially from a very high base. So that support to the currency is. Likely to be weakening, 
And uh, I would say, you know, it's positive signal, but the actual impact of that looks to be limited. And let's finish with the currency then. We've, of course, seen mm-hmm. a pretty pronounced appreciation of the renminbi, both against the dollar, but as well against the, the basket over the last few months. To what extent do you think this was intentional? I mean, it's always intentional to some degree. They have a fairly high degree of control over the currency. But particularly with respect to the growth concerns, how intentional Mm -hmm. do you think this was? Yeah, I would say, you know, the the worry on growth side of things was definitely a big part in terms of the the weakness of the RMB that we've seen. Uh, You still have that rate differential story, which for the U.S. side of things, the Fed has been on hiking paths for quite a bit and market keeps repricing up in terms of terminal rate, given how strong the labor market and the economy in the U.S. has been. And on the Chinese side, I guess, you know, monetary policy has been on the easing side and likely to be that way in the near future. So that rate differential story is really a big part. The other part is, to your point, the concerns about growth where, you know, recovery, the sustainability of that recovery path seems to be more challenging than people initially have thought. That definitely put pressure on um, on the currency as well. But I think in terms of the, the allowing for more room of depreciation, that definitely has been, I think part of it is, to your point, helping exports a little bit. The other part is, you know, China has been on this sort of more market-driven, more internationalization paths for the currency for a bit. And in recent years, we start to see less and less um, intervention from the authority side to really allowing for more freedom of the currency movement as long as it makes sense in terms of um, where the currency should be headed, given you know the weaker growth outlook and the differential weakness in the currency is warranted. It's just that the speed of things, if it gets to a level where um, the PBOC feels a bit uncomfortable, they're likely to step in with verbal intervention or with stronger fixings that we've seen mm-hmm. in recent days. But that, that really didn't change the overall trajectory of the currency, it just sort of slows down the pace a little bit. I guess, you know, looking ahead, where we are going to go in terms of the currency is largely dependent on the, the rate differential where, you know, how much further is the U.S. going to hike, how much more China's got to cut. And the other side is that package of stimulus um, that the market is waiting for, how big of an impact that's going to be on the economy. If that's going to sort of shore up um, consumption to really have a boost to sentiment and that really have a turnaround for the growth story, that then, of course, we're going to have uh, the currency reacting to that. So let's think about that then. Let's assume the U.S. is pretty well priced for what the Fed is going to do, or U.S. rate markets are pretty well priced for that. You've got then two further interest rate hikes from the Fed. Those are basically priced by the end of this year. Assuming that gets delivered and you don't get anything more as a policy factor, would you say then that we've seen the bottom in the renminbi versus the dollar? Yeah, I would say to some extent that is the case because you you have seen basically the recent couple of days. Uh, remember, it has been strengthening for a bit, given that dollar was weakening a bit as market expect. You know, inflation is gradually coming down. Um, the other part is you start to have more or better news on the policy side where you had that policy uh, for the real estate sector, that's definitely having positive impact on, on the uh, the currency. And, you know, given how bearish the market has been in terms yeah. of, you know, sentiment and positioning, I would say definitely there is a bit of a hope that we have seen sort of the peak of dollar China if things were to turn for the better as we and, head into uh, the second half of the year. 
And would you say something similar about the asset markets? Do these, you know, we, our metrics show holdings of equities in China very, very low. Performance actually this year mm-hmm. has not been so bad, but it's obviously lagged developed market performance. And, and we've talked about the currency right. having lagged quite a lot. Is there a, a better outlook for Chinese assets here, especially given, you know, yields are quite low and yield is an attraction right now? What, what's the thinking on the mm-hmm. asset markets? Yeah, I would say for um, the equity market, I would likely to, to sort of stay selective in terms of the sectors you choose, mm-hmm. um, given that, you know, the overall correlation of the Chinese asset market in terms of equity is still being impacted by global sentiment, that's for sure. The low positioning and the weaker sentiment is going to sort of have that potential for unwind if we do have a turn for the better when it comes to sentiment. But in terms of uh, selection of different sectors, you know, a lot of sectors that are under sort of more support or policy objective wise being supported in terms of, you know, higher high tech you know, manufacturing or green energy, those are sort of the focus of policymakers. They're likely to benefit uh, not only from, you know, inflows from investors in terms of their trying to write that sentiment, but also in terms of overall policy support is also likely to be positive. Well, it, it sounds like a better outlook than than I was fearing. Uh, unfortunately, time to go. But you think it's it's been good to catch up. I'm sure we will speak about all of this later in the year and we'll get a sense of how things have gone. And for the future, it does sound like it's maybe a bit better days ahead. But I wanted to say thanks for, for joining us and looking forward to having you back on soon. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Street Signals from the research team at State Street Global Markets. This podcast and all of our research can be found at our web portal, Insights. There, you'll be able to find all of our latest thinking on macroeconomics and markets, where we leverage our deep experience in research on investor behavior, inflation, risk, and media sentiment, all of which goes into building an award-winning strategy product. If you're a client of State Street, hit us up there at globalmarkets.statestreet.com. We'll see you next time. This communication is provided by State Street Bank and Trust Company, hereafter referred to as State Street, and is for informational purposes only, and is not intended to suggest or recommend any transaction, investment, or investment strategy. It does not constitute investment research, nor does it purport to be comprehensive or intended to replace the exercise of an investor's own careful, independent review and judgment regarding any investment decision. This communication and the information herein does not constitute investment, legal, or tax advice, and is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities or any financial instrument nor is it intended to constitute a binding contractual arrangement or commitment by State Street of any kind. The information provided does not take into account any particular investment objectives, strategies, investment horizon, or tax status. The views expressed herein are the views of State Street as of the date specified and are subject to change without notice based on market and other conditions. The information provided herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable at the time of publication. Nonetheless, we make no representations or assurances that the information is complete or accurate, and you should not place any reliance on said information. State Street hereby disclaims any warranty and all liability, whether arising in contract, tort, or otherwise, for any losses, liabilities, damages, expenses, or costs, either direct, indirect, consequential, special, or punitive, arising from or in connection with any use of this communication and or the information herein. State Street or its affiliates may from time to time as principal or agent for its own account or for those of its clients have positions in and or actively trade in financial instruments or other products identical to or economically related to those discussed in this communication. State Street may have a commercial relationship with issuers of financial instruments or other products discussed in this communication. 
This communication may contain information deemed to be forward-looking statements. These statements are based on assumptions, analyses, and expectations of State Street in light of its experience and perception of historical trends, current conditions, expected future developments, and other factors it believes appropriate under the circumstances. All information is subject to change without notice. This communication or any portion hereof may not be redistributed without the prior written consent of State Street. Past performance is no guarantee of future results.